0: All right, let's get rolling. Um, a Quick recap. Here's what we've said through all these weeks, if you haven't been here, if you haven't caught it on SoundCloud, if you haven't downloaded on our app, is that we're just answering the question of what do you do while you're waiting? What do you do while you're waiting on God when you have no other options? Maybe you're in a season right now where there's just no way to solve whatever you're walking through. It's an unresolvable tension. You can't make a decision to fix it. And it could be a number of things. It could be your marriage is a train wreck, and you don't know how to move forward, and you don't know if it's ever going to get healed. It may be your adult child has gone off the rails, and this isn't middle school anymore, and you can't fix it. It may be a dream that's dying. You wanted to go to med school. It's not going to happen. You wanted to go to law school, and it's definitely not going to happen. Um, You've got a financial thing that has just absolutely collapsed on you, and there's nothing you can do right now to solve it. It may be a diagnosis that you can't cure it might be somebody who's walked out on you it may be a reputation thing and there's nothing you can do to gain back that reputation you're just in this season of waiting you're just in this season of adversity maybe you're in a place right now at 32 or 42 or 22 and you are far from where you thought you'd be right now and there's no good options like all of your options are things like go out and self-medicate and try to dull the pain All of your options are to make decisions in this waiting room season that actually compound the tension that you're already feeling. Like your options are to just run, your options are to quit, your options are to look at everybody else to your right and your left and just compare your circumstances, but you really have no good options. So what do you do in that season? What do you do in that kind of adversity? What do you do in that kind of waiting room experience? For most of us, what we are tempted to do is draw bad conclusions about God, which we've said, that maybe God is uncertain, that maybe God is inactive in our circumstances, that maybe God is just angry and that's why I'm going through what I'm going through, or maybe that God somehow has forgotten me because he just doesn't seem to be showing up in my circumstances. And we've said, and this is so many of your stories, whether you're watching, whether you're in the house, whether you're listening on radio or podcast, is that this kind of circumstance is what has led you to walk away from God. This is the thing that has caused you to hit the eject button at some point along the way in your journey. And not only do we uh, draw bad conclusions about God, is in those waiting room seasons we're tempted to draw bad conclusions about us, like we're never going to be able to experience peace again. Then we're never going to get to a place where we can see these circumstances being used by God to do something beneficial or good in our life. Or the other big one is we start to just think it is pointless to keep going and to keep trying. Because haven't you been in a season before where you're trying to do what's right when others are not? You're trying to be faithful when others have been unfaithful to you. You're trying to maintain your integrity even though everything suggests you should just give it up. And you start to feel like God doesn't really notice. You start to feel like God's not really aware in your life. And it starts to just feel pointless to keep doing what you're doing. And so all of us have been in those seasons. So the whole question behind this series is, seriously, what do you do? What do you do when there really is nothing to do and there really are no good options? And as we've said, the thing that gives me a kind of hope is all of the individuals that gave us and brought us the story of Jesus, all of those people were familiar with adversity. All of those people were familiar with waiting seasons. In fact, some of their stories, it was their whole life. And somehow they were able to maintain faith and maintain their integrity and maintain their confidence in God when God seemed to be nowhere in sight. Like, think about this. It is ridiculous that we're here today. It's ridiculous that this movement survived the first century. It's ridiculous that one-third of the world's population somehow connects Jesus to God around the globe. And the only reason that that is possible, the only reason that this survived the first century, is because there was a group of men and women with horrific adversity, and somehow they were able to maintain faith. Somehow they didn't hit the eject button. Somehow they were able to maintain their confidence in God through all of it. And it's the only reason that we're here. So what do you do? Throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, throughout the life of Jesus, throughout the writings of Paul, you hear and and are encountered with one word over and over and over and over and over again in connection to waiting and in connection to adversity. And that word that I want to look at for a couple minutes this morning in part four is just this word right here, believe. That over and over again, if you're in a waiting season right now, if you're coming out of one, if you're about to go into one, if you're experiencing adversity right now, relationally, financially, in terms of a dream, in terms of a decision, that over and over again, we're tempted to believe something in those circumstances. And the reason that we are called to, or not tempted, but invited to believe something in those circumstances is because we are prone not to. That intuitively, we do not believe this. And in fact, when we are left to ourselves, what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning, we don't believe. We move the other direction. We begin to draw bad assumptions and bad conclusions about God. But over and over again, specifically in the New Testament, you are invited to believe something in this adversity and in this waiting season. And if you were to believe it, if you were to maintain trust, it may make all of the difference in your circumstance. And so there's one letter specifically in the New Testament that highlights this and brings this to the surface so powerfully. And what makes this, I think, really powerful, like several other of the letters that we've looked at in this series, is who wrote it. And the guy who wrote it was James, the brother of Jesus. Now, what is really interesting about James is James um, does not become a Jesus follower until after Easter weekend. In fact, leading up to um, that whole weekend and everything that went down that we looked at and celebrated a few weeks ago, before that weekend, Jesus kind of distanced himself in some weird way from most of his family and from his brothers. His brothers didn't want anything to do with him. Um, James honestly thought his brother should have been institutionalized, that he was a nut job. Um, like, I grew up with you. There's no way that you're the Messiah. And James wanted nothing to do with the movement. James wanted nothing to do with his brother. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. And what is so fascinating about James, the brother of Jesus' life, is that eventually he gives up his life in the same city where Jesus was crucified, and he gives up his life believing that his brother was the Son of God. Now, I've asked you this question before, but it bears repeating because I think this is maybe one of the greatest apologetics or defenses of the Christian movement. If you have a brother or sister, if you have a sibling, how legit would they have to be to convince you that they were the Son of God? It, it's it's going to take more than turning water into wine. It's gonna take more than walking on water. I mean, even my brother could pull that off. I'm like, I still am not gonna believe that you're the son of God. The only thing that your brother or sister could do to convince you that they were the son of God is to die and then somehow bring themselves back to life. That's the only thing that's gonna prove to you that somehow they are the Messiah or connected to God. And so James doesn't believe his brother all the way up until the crucifixion. And it's not till after the resurrection that James is finally like, all right, you really are the Messiah. You really are the Son of God. And he begins to be one of the major figures in moving the church forward. And again, he gives up his life believing that his brother is his Savior and Lord. And then James, later down the line, writes a letter. And I think this gets lost on us because whatever you're reading or whatever you pulled up on your app this morning, I mean, just think about the reality of this that Jesus had a brother who ultimately believed that Jesus was his Savior, was the Messiah, and then he wrote a letter. I mean, come on. Whatever you're reading is not as good as this. And so James, the brother of Jesus, writes this letter, and here's what he says about this whole tension and about this one word that we are invited into, that we are invited to believe surrounding this this specific kind of invitation that may make all of the difference in our waiting. And here's what James says um, in his um, self-titled book, or letter really, Um, James' creative title, he says this, James 1-1. Are you with me in the house? Are you with me at the 10.30, at the 12? All right. If you've got your app, you can go to Sermon Resources, and then you can go um, find the Sermon Notes or actually Media Sermon Resources. If you've got old school, you can look at it, or it'll be um, on the screen. If you're at the 10.30 and 12, it'll be right here, so hopefully you can see it. All right, here's what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, just, I want to pause one more time. He believes that his brother is Lord. James, you are an idiot, or this actually happens. But James is like, I'm a servant of God, and by the way, I believe that God is actually my brother, Jesus. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Pause. Pause. First of all, brothers is not like, this is not a gender term, it's, it's brothers, sisters. What he's conveying is those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the grave, and as we place our faith and trust in him, we get forgiveness, we get new life. It's all about what he's done for us. And so if you are in that place as a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you consider it pure joy now here's the thing i would never say what james says in fact i would never say most of what jesus says jesus one time is doing a talk on anxiety and worry and his kind of bottom line is hey hey don't do it just don't worry whatever you're going through just just don't i would never say that james hey whatever you're going through right now consider it pure joy james like You can get away with it because you're James, but that seems so insensitive. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when, not if, because this is coming for you, when you face trials of many kinds. And right there, I mean, just in terms of our humanity, we're like, no, I'm out, I'm out, Nope. No, I, I, like, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. That seems insensitive. That seems over the top. If you knew what I was going through, if you knew my situation, if you knew my circumstances, there's no way that I'm going to do this. And by the way, can I just add this one thing? That trials of many kinds means what, whatever is going on in this season of your life, don't ever demean or underestimate somebody else's suffering. Like, if you're a seventh grader, your boyfriend just broke up, I know, if you have the perspective of time and kind of a broader context, you're like, you'll get over it, and it's going to be fine. But at that point in your life, that's everything. As a freshman in college, and you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, and then later you look back 15 years, like, it's really not that big a deal, but right now it's a big deal. Or... There's those overarching trials, those, those seasons of adversity and waiting that everybody would agree. It's a diagnosis. It's somebody walked out. It's somebody betrayed you. So whatever it is, Paul's, or James is like, listen, I want you to consider, meaning literally consider means when you are ready to walk out, when you are ready to give up. When you are so hyper-focused on, I just need to change it, I just need to change it, it just needs to get better, as soon as this waiting stops, as soon as this works out, as soon as they come back, as soon as they say, yes, I'm going to be okay, in that, I want to give up, I want to walk out, I want to try to change it, James is like, I just want you to embrace, I want you to change your perspective, I want you to change your mindset around your adversity, and I want you, and this is going to seem over the top, this is going to seem crazy, this is going to seem I'm not going to do this, but I want you to at least pause, and I want you to consider the fact that this thing that you are going through may be the source of God doing something good in your life. And you're like, James, I, I know that's uncomfortable, I don't really want to consider that. Okay, I, I get it, and maybe you're never going to get there, I'm not going to force you into it. But I want you to at least move to a place to change your perspective and change you're thinking to at least give room for the fact that this may be possible. I just want you to consider it. When you face these trials, and the Greek word for face is the word that was used in the first century for a robbery, for a shipwreck, or anything that takes you by surprise. And so James is like, when you get the call at 2 a.m., when you're served the papers, when they walk out with no warning. When you did not see it coming, when this is not on your agenda, where you didn't think that you would be at this place in this season of your life, when you are blindsided by that waiting room experience or that adversity, I want you to at least begin to think differently that this may, and I know if we heard your story, we would just be like, no, you should just be angry, but I'm just telling you, this may be the source of God doing something good. And then here's why, he says this, and we already know this, because you know that. In the Greek, it's actually participle, literally meaning knowing that, the testing of your faith. So James affirms what we already know. Like, I don't need to tell you this, it doesn't matter what your faith background is, we already know that when we go through things, it tests our faith. At some level, when we go through a trial, we, we kind of put our faith on trial, at some level, in many cases, when we go through some kind of trial, whatever that is, at some level we put God on trial. Because it's during these seasons where we start to look up to go, God, what are you doing? God, where are you at? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you not answered my prayer? Why don't you throw me a bone in this? Why don't you let me know that at some level you're active and some level... You're aware of my circumstances. And so James just says what we know, that when you go through these seasons, it tests your faith. It always highlights the question, hey, do you really believe? Do you really believe? Can you really maintain faith in this adversity or this trial? Can you really continue to believe? Will you continue to believe? And James is just like, listen, our adversity and our waiting test our confidence in God. And so then he says this, because you know that the testing of your faith, and then he points to honestly an uncomfortable direction that we don't want to consider but we know is true. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And again, nobody needs to tell us this, we already know this. James is like, your adversity, your waiting develops persevering faith. Like as you read the New Testament, as you read the Old Testament, As you read the writings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus over and over again, God seems to honor, God seems to be honored, God seems to be most glorified through persevering faith. Like, come on, this is just the reality. Nobody is impressed by the person, by the man, the woman, who is always getting a yes from God. Nobody is impressed by that. What moves people, what moves the heart of people is the individual who gets a no or a no answer or who has been waiting for a long time and it seems silent and God doesn't seem to be anywhere in sight and yet they decide to persevere anyway. They decide to believe anyway. They decide to maintain faith anyway. In fact, isn't this true? And just go with me, because I know some of this is uncomfortable like much of this series. But come on, isn't this true? When you hear somebody where everything is just working out, like, oh, I prayed Tuesday, God answered on Friday, everything is amazing. Just They did just keep seem to be rolling down this path of God's active, God's at work, God's answering their prayer. When you hear those stories the thing that moves you is not a love for Jesus. The thing that moves you is, how can I get in on that? How can I achieve the formula? Do I need to read more? Do I need to pray more? Maybe if I attended more, I'd be more blessable. Like, what do I need to give up? Where do I need to be more obedient? But we make it a little idle where our love, our attention, our all is not at Jesus. It's how do I get in on what you're experiencing? And James is like, but it's the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. And in those kind of reactions, God's like, are, are you kidding me? What honors me? What moves me? What captures my attention is the person in that adversity and in that waiting who believes anyway. And trusts anyway. And perseveres anyway. Anyway. And James is like, before you walk away, I want you to at least consider that maybe God is doing something good in this, that this is the source of something good, even though it's hard to believe that God is developing, persevering faith in your life. But you don't want that, and I don't want that. Like, if we were to just be straight, this is just the human experience, we're much more interested in God changing our circumstances than we are God changing us. And James is like, but, but this, this is what God is up to. And then James gives us the first imperative or main point in verse 4, and he says this. Perseverance, you're way too quiet, so I need to hear from you. Perseverance must what? Finish. All right, one more time. Perseverance must what? Finish its work. Like, James, again, God is working and you're waiting. And you can hit the divorce button. And you can hit the eject button and you can hit the walk away button, and you can hit the alcohol button, and you can hit the bankruptcy button, and you can hit the, I'm just gonna screw you over button because nobody is doing what I want them to and I've tried to maintain faith. You can hit the weed button. You can hit whatever button you want in this season. But James is like, I'm just telling you, God is at work developing the kind of faith that honors him the most and the kind of faith that literally takes the breath away of other people around you when you are willing to move forward, maintain faith and persevere anyway. And James is like, the Focal point of your greatest tension right now, what is it? The focal point of your greatest angst right now, what is it? The focal point of that greatest tension might be the focal point of God's greatest work and God's greatest activity in your life. Like, can we just come around this idea for some of us? And I'm not being critical, all of us have some kind of story or experience, but when things got really difficult, when we started experiencing adversity, maybe some of it was from the church. You had a, a, a parent, parents that went through a divorce, and you just kind of gotten, you got bumped out. You had somebody go through some kind of experience and they got treated badly. You had a, a, a gay sibling and you, you saw things done to them that were horrific. And you're like, that's what the God thing, the Jesus thing is about. I'm out. Or maybe you went through some kind of experience with your relationship or, or a financial thing or a dream that died. But, but here's my point. In that adversity or waiting season, many of us chose to walk away. Many of us chose to hit the eject button. And here's just the question, And, and I'm sure that there is an exception to this, but I think it's small. After you hit the eject button and walked out and walked away, your life did not get better. In most cases, your relationships didn't get healthier. Your financial situation didn't get better. You didn't become at a place where you you were just healthier across the board. And in many cases, things actually got worse and you compounded and things got more complicated on the other side of you walking away. And so James is just like, listen, I just want you to consider this. Let persevering faith Finish what it started. Let it do its work. Let it move all the way to the end. Let God accomplish what God wants to accomplish in this season. And it may leave you in a better place because your story of walking away and piecing out and going, I'm not coming back. It did not make your life better. And so then James finishes. He says this verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work. Finish what it started so that, purpose statement, you may be. What's the word? Mature. All right, come on, seriously. So that you may be what mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, so how do I become mature? Th- this is how you become mature. You got anything else? No, no, no. Th- this is it. Can I just memorize some stuff? No, no, no. That makes you smart. That doesn't make you mature. A lot of people who memorize. Lots of stuff, know lots of stuff. You wouldn't characterize them as mature. Well, can I, just, um, you, can, can I just maybe get to a place where I obey? No, 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 that makes you obedient. That doesn't make you mature. And what's really interesting in this, this verse is the same Greek word for finish is the same Greek word for mature. So what James is really saying is just this. Let perseverance complete its work so you'll be complete. Like, if there's anything in you where I want to move, I want to grow to maturity, I want God to do what God wants to do in my life, then this is it. It is the only way. It's not through obedience. It's not through memorizing more. It's not through attending something more. It's not praying more. This is the pathway to maturity. And so if you want to be complete, this is the means to completion. God's like, this is how you develop the kind of faith that leads you to maturity. And come on, can we just get around this idea for a second? I love what Jeremiah says, that God has laid out for you a purpose and a plan, a hope and a future, not to somehow hurt you, but to prosper you, to do something incredible with your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, come on, at the 1030 and the 12, you are lavishly loved by your heavenly father. You are a son, you are a daughter of the creator of the universe who also knows your name. You are in a place right now where God has something extraordinary. That he wants to do through your life, not in spite of the adversity, because of the adversity that God is up to something in this season of your life. And here's what I know for all of us is that you will not be equipped. You will lack something. You will not be ready. You will not be equipped to fulfill your God-given destiny without adversity. You will move forward and you will always be lacking. You will always be wanting. You do not have what it takes in you. And God's like, I have a plan. I have a purpose. It is not a promise of pain-free, problem-free, but I want to do something extraordinary through your life. And it, it is not in spite of the adversity, it is because of the adversity. If you will follow me, if you will trust me, if you will believe me anyway, this is what I'm up to. And can I just, just to get our minds around this, spiritual maturity is all about direction. It's not about perfection. Spiritual maturity is all about persevering faith, not perfect behavior. Like, let me illustrate this. Have you ever met that follower of Jesus, that Christian, and they almost seem too good? Like, have you ever? No, I've never. Well, have you? No, 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 I always, and I never, and I, like, just everything is great, and you're like, I, I'm uncomfortable being around you. Like, there's something, like, off with you, or, or if nothing else, you're just, you're not inspiring, you're kind of intimidating, And then you dig down, and in some cases, you find out their story, and you're like, well, you know what? If things had gone as well for me as it's gone for you, I'd be right where you're at. If things had tracked the way things have seemed to track with you, I'd be right where you're at. If I'd had the kind of just, man, it just seems like things are rolling for you, I'd be right where you're at. Or maybe it's kind of a story if they just kind of played it safe, but they're not inspiring, they're intimidating. And then you meet that other kind of person. And they don't use any of the language that you use. They didn't grow up in Sunday school. They they don't kind of know the etiquette. They don't know the language. Um, They they drop some things at inappropriate times. And, And yet you hear their story and you are overwhelmed by their confidence in God. And that's intimidating too. But then you hear their story and you dig down and they've got some kind of story of God seemingly leading them down into the valley of the shadow of death and then telling them to camp out there for a while. And then finally they have a story of God, whatever it was in their life, that waiting, that adversity of God leading them out of that, that experience of the valley of the shadow of death, and God led them out in an extraordinary way. And they would tell you, listen, I would not choose this, but I would not give up what God used through this and and they tell you the story through some four letter bombs that are dropped halfway in between and you are not inspired by their obedience and you are not inspired by what they know, you are not inspired by their memorization you are inspired by their incredible faith and their incredible confidence in God and their ability to trust anyway and move forward anyway and believe that God is with them anyway and I'm telling you that is what captures the heart of your heavenly father, it is not about perfection. It is about direction. It is about persevering faith. It is about, in the midst of all the stuff that God's still trying to clean up and work out, God, I am just going to trust you through this. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to believe anyway. I'm going to trust anyway. I'm going to walk forward anyway. And you look at that kind of person and You don't want to become them the way that they became them. But you want to be like them. And so James is so real. So here's what he says next. I'm just going to do three more verses real quick. That could be 30 minutes, but I'm going to keep it rolling. If any of you, really all of us, if any of you, if you're in a season of adversity right now, if you're waiting, the relationship is hanging on by a thread, if you don't know where to go next, if any of you in that kind of season lacks wisdom. He should ask God, who gives generously to all, I love this, without finding fault, meaning you cannot send your way out of God's intervention when you call out to God. Even if you are in a season of waiting and you created some of it, even if you are right in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death and extreme adversity and you kind of had a hand in creating some of that adversity, when you call out to God in the midst of it to say, I want to believe anyway, God will meet you there every single time. And so he says, when you need wisdom, God will give wisdom. It will be given to any person who asks. He's going to give generously. He's going to give without fault. And so James is basically saying, when you get into a season where you're like, all of us have been there, God, what are you doing? God, what the heck is happening? God, wh- why is this going down? God, why won't you answer me? God, why won't you intervene? And wisdom in this context is just this, when we cry out, it is the ability to see this waiting season within a broader context. Is that when you get to that place to go, God, I do not understand what you're doing. And so, God, I just, I just need you to give me wisdom. I need you to help me see Whatever you see in this, and I know you're not going to give me the full detail, but I need something right now. And listen, if you're a parent, every parent knows this. You watch your toddler go through some crazy thing where their life is ending. You're like, it's going to get better. It's not that big a deal, right? You watch your teenager go through something, and it seems like the world is falling apart. And you're like, man, in five years, this is going to be such a small thing. All of us understand moving back from something and having a broader perspective and a broader context. And James is going, when you cry out to God for wisdom and perspective in this season, God will answer that prayer every single time. And I think it's a prayer something like this, God, help me. God, give me wisdom to see as you see. God, give me insight to see the way that you see. God, give me perspective to see what you see in this waiting season and in the midst of this adversity. I don't overstate to say this is something I pray probably every day. To get up and go, God, in every interaction... And in every arena of my life and in everything that's going down right now, would you just help me to see the way you see? Because I know if I see what you see, it'll be much easier to do what you say. So I want to see them the way that you see them because the way I see them, totally different picture. I want to see this circumstance the way you see it. I want to see how they're reacting the way that that you see it. But God, give me wisdom to see as you see. And here's what I've said to you so many times before. Your circumstances do not impact your faith. You, you think you walked away because of the marriage bottoming out or because you were hurt or because they were mistreated or because there was no answer to that prayer. Those have no ability to impact your faith whatsoever. It is your interpretation of your circumstances ultimately that impacts your faith. Because whatever you see is going to determine what you do. Whatever you see is going to determine whether you panic, whether you're paralyzed, or whether you persevere. And the promise throughout the scripture, what James is saying is kind of the underlying principle, is that God will leverage your pain To use it as a platform to fulfill your potential, but not when your circumstances change, but when your perception and your idea and your view of your circumstances changes. And James is like, in the midst of this, would you just pray, God, would you at some level help me to see as you see, because I know you want to do something through this, but you're not going to do it when everything works out, which is what some of us are waiting for. You are going to begin to leverage this the moment that I see it differently and see it the way that you see it. And then he's not done, verse six. But when he asks, and this is not James shaking his finger at us, he's just trying to be straight. He must believe and not doubt. Like, you must believe that God's working and you're waiting, even when you don't see it, even when you're tempted to not believe it. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And I don't know, this is totally me making this up, but I'm wondering if this is not a shot at Peter at some level. Because I think Peter got hounded probably the rest of his life. For the, you remember the whole incident when Peter walks out on the water and he takes a couple steps and he sinks? I think they made fun of him the rest of his life. And so, like, hey, listen, Peter, and we, we remember. Um, and Peter's like, well, I didn't see the rest of you fools getting out of the boat. <laughs> and James, like, you weren't even around. We didn't even see you till after Easter weekend. So... But James is like, listen, you got to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And so in that circumstance, in that waiting, in that adversity, you, you need to not doubt that God is with you, that God is active, that God is working, that God is faithful, and that whatever is coming at you is not greater and it is not stronger than what is inside of you that you have the power that raised Christ from the dead. And so I know it seems overwhelming. I know it doesn't seem like you can move forward. I know there's a lot of unanswered questions. I know it doesn't make sense with what's happening to them, but you need to end that season. Believe anyway, God, you have given me everything that I need. You have given me every bit of power that I need. And whatever is facing me cannot overcome what is in me, what you have given me, what you have strengthened me with to move forward. But when I take my eyes off you and I get so hyper-focused on my circumstances and what's going to happen and what might not happen and all the things I don't understand that I start to bail out. And here's here's the promise throughout the scripture and the reality that there is, where there is no perseverance, there is no power. For you to unleash what God wants to do And meet you where you are It requires for you to step forward And believe anyway To go God I am not understanding this But I'm going to trust you anyway I'm going to believe you anyway And God will meet you with his power The moment you surrender to go I am going to trust Even though everything around me Mitigates against it And it is in your perseverance That God unleashes his power Here's the reality for a lot of us We have not experienced More of Christ's power Because we haven't done anything that's needed it And James is like This is the epicenter Of where you're going to need it the most And I'm going to give it to you If you'll just trust me And then he says this Last verse The man should not think He will receive anything From the Lord And so here's James' main point Is that when you are surprised, when you are blindsided, when you get the call or start to hear the voices at 2 a.m., when you would have never expected this and this was not a part of your story, that's not you, it's not what you ever really had as part of your plan, but it has come out of nowhere and now you are in a waiting season. You are dealing with adversity where it has turned your life upside down. James is like, I know this is not emotionally satisfying and I know it's difficult, but in that, in that, would you not assume the worst? Would you not assume that God is inactive? Would you not move to the conclusion that God doesn't care? Would you somehow, and you don't have to fully feel it emotionally, but as a declaration of trust, could you somehow come to the place to go, God, I'm just going to change my perspective to believe that this could be the source of something good. And here's what I know. James talked about it. All of the first century followers experienced it, that in this, you are testing and growing my faith and producing perseverance. And you develop persevering faith and you build persevering faith the same way that you build a muscle. You stretch it, you rest it. 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 it, it. One of the things that, I feel I've experienced um, in a way probably unparalleled um, in my life other than about two seasons is is kind of a full year now, full calendar year where I feel like this is all God's done. I'm going to stretch, i give you a little rest, and I'm going to stretch again. And and what I know from the scriptures and what has been so convicting to me in, in a lot of those stretching seasons where God is... Is so just going to the heart of do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? Will you really walk forward with me? Will you really maintain faith when your prayers aren't being answered and there's a little bit of chaos and some stuff is hitting the fan and you don't know what next? Will you believe me anyway? and what what i understand is that in the waiting season god is increasing my and your capacity to fulfill your destiny it is the only way that it happens that in that stretching he's going for you to be able to do what i've called you to do for you to fulfill your calling for you to step into the destiny of what i have for you on planet earth to accomplish what i want to accomplish through your life and come on i want to accomplish something through your life it is only going to happen through this and so one of the things i've been painfully aware of every time i I feel that tension and angst is that God is, God is increasing my capacity. God is stretching me in order to fulfill my destiny. And I want to make a difference on planet earth with the little bit of breath that I have until I transition home. And I know that to be prepared and to be ready, this is the only way that it happens. And so in the waiting room, as we get ready to conclude, and then we'll finish it in part five next week, this is the word, would you just believe would you just believe? Would you just trust that God is working in your waiting to mature you? And that there is something that God can produce that is good out of this. And he can use anything. In fact, he will use anything even if he decides to not remove it. And so if you're in this season right now, I just want to end with this, this kind of prayer that maybe, seriously, every every single morning, every single night, whatever your rhythm is, and and I know this is weird, but I'm a huge advocate of this. I think where you feel the tension the most, where you know that God is working, where you're struggling to trust, there is something powerful about just praying things out loud. And so you, you just need to say, shout, pray this out loud somewhere, but God, would you use this, whatever this is, until you choose to remove this? God, would you use this until you, ch- until you choose to remove this. And God, would you give me wisdom to see what you see and would you give me the power to do what you say? Right now in this waiting season, right now in this adversity, right now with all of these unknowns, right now with the, I don't know if God's going to take it away. I don't know if God's going to say yes. I don't know if it's going to work out. God, right here, not waiting for what might happen over there. Would you give me wisdom to see what you see? And would you give me power to do what you say? And can I just say this as we conclude for some of you in this waiting season, and we just leave that up for a second, in this waiting season and in this season of adversity, what God wants you to do is just what you know to do. I've said this to you probably a hundred times. That your next best move and your next best play right here where there's no good options and you don't really know where to go next is you just need to do what you know to do and you will know what to do. You just need to do what you know know to do and you will know what to do. You need to get up every single day and just go, I'm going to do what anybody would do whose marriage is falling apart but believes that God is with them and God is working in this circumstance. You get up every day and you do what anybody would do whose adult children is off the rails and you can't fix it, but they believed and they trusted and they maintained faith anyway that God is working and that God is maturing them in this and that even this can be the source of something good. You just get up every day and do what anybody would do. As the financial bottom drops out and as the dream is slowly dying, who is absolutely confident and believes that God is with them and working, even when they don't see it. And can I just tell you this? God always clarifies in the midst of faith and obedience and never beforehand. And so whatever you know to do is what you need to do, and God will begin to clarify your steps. And here's the reality. God will choose to use what you would never use. Because you wouldn't use it because you know what could be and you know what should be. And Jesus says, and this is our hope, and this is ultimately what we're waiting for. One day it will be. But in the meantime, God, would you use this until you remove this? Would you use this pain as a platform to fulfill my destiny because of the adversity? And God, would you help me to see as you see? And God, would you give me power, the power that raised Christ from the dead to do as you say? Would you guys stand with me all over the house? If you're at the 1030, I'd love for you to do the same. If you're at the 12 o'clock, I'd love for you to do the same. And all over the house, if, if we could stay where we're at for just a second, whether you're on a team or not, doesn't matter. It Just had a respect for what God is doing in hearts and lives in this moment. And so all over the house, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, And Lord, I just just want to pray this over some individuals right now in this moment where this is exactly where they're at and this is exactly what they need. And so God, I pray that in the midst of we're pleading and we're asking and we're begging and we're praying and, and we want to see things change and there's nothing wrong with that. I pray that for some, maybe for the first time, this would be the moment, even though it is hard to believe, and I just want to acknowledge that, that somehow there would be a perspective change, there would be something in them that would at least allow them to consider that this thing may be the source of something good that you are doing in their life, and they would never choose it. But if they decide to remain faithful and believe, you have promised to use it. And so, God, I pray that right where you are, right where we're at, you would speak very specifically to whatever the tension is and whatever the struggle is in this moment. And we just want to pray corporately together that, God, as we walk out of here today, that you would give us wisdom to see what you see in this circumstance. And we're not going to get the whole picture because we can't handle it. Our ways are not your ways, and our thoughts are not your thoughts. You are the creator, sovereign, glorified king of the universe. But god as far as we can handle it give us wisdom to see as we see and then right now we are we are entreating we are inviting the power of the spirit of god to give us wisdom to do what you're calling us to do right now in this circumstance in this season and god we are going to praise you we are going to glorify you We are going to lift up your name for in many circumstances what you are going to do on the other side of this to fulfill our calling and bring glory to you and honor your great name, the name of Jesus. And we pray this all in that name, the name of Jesus Christ.